Fawns. And welcome to Fawns and Fauna, a podcast about creatures real or otherwise. I am your aquatic lady, merperson, question mark, Ash. And this is our trusty ranger pal, Cody. Mm-hmm. Ra- ranger Cody. Uh-huh. How's it going? Good. I just got back from having breakfast with a really good friend of mine. And a stranger paid for our breakfast. That's really nice. We don't know who they were or why they did it, but it was really nice. So welcome to the South. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. Um, We're doing a recording session during the day, Mm -hmm. which I always like. Yep. This morning was a little bit crazy and it didn't go at all as I'd planned, but that's okay because we're here now. Well, I had a great morning. Well, I'm glad. (laughs) good i'm glad (laughs) so i have mentioned in previous episodes that i have a algorithm if you will for how i go through what creatures i cover and we have cycled all the way back to the beginning oh boy so we are in the ocean (gasps) today for my creature our aquatic lady indeed Mm mm-hmm uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm pretty sure that this creature was a request from Uncle Dunk, but Ooh. I can't remember because uh, he sent me like a million different creatures that he wants me to cover in one email. And oh, so I can't uh-huh. remember which ones, but I'm pretty sure that this is one he requested. So shout out to Uncle Dunk. Mm-hmm. But today I am bringing you the Japanese spider crab. Oh. I love seeing these guys at the aquarium. Me too. It is always a highlight. Uh Uh-huh. So some fast facts for you. They live in the waters of Japan. They have the largest legged span of any arthropod. So lobster, crabs, spiders, mites, insects, centipedes, and millipedes. Okay. So basically any animal that is classified by their external skeletons and multiple jointed appendages. And they also don't have like a backbone okay i like knowing that they're the biggest because then i know what to expect in the wild Mm -hmm. you know like do you know how big these guys are though very big but it's nice for me knowing that there's not a a spider that's bigger than them yes that's true that is a comforting thing to know so they have three stages of growth where they are in a larval state Mm -hmm. until they reach the prezoeal state which is their largest okay like matured size They are considered a delicacy in Japan, but conservation efforts are in place to um, help prevent overfishing, Oh, hmm. which we'll get into that later in the human relations portion. But for now, let's jump into the anatomy. They have 10 legs. Wait, what? Yeah, that's four more legs or no, two more legs than I thought they had. Yeah. They have 10 legs. Weird. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Their leg span... Okay, I want you to take a guess as to what you think it can reach up to. Their from claw spin? to claw. From claw to claw. Uh, eight feet. Bigger? Yeah. Oh my gosh, how big? So they can reach up to 3.7 meters or 12.1 feet. Whoa. Yeah. That's like two of me. Oh my across. gosh. That's nuts. Yeah. From claw to claw. Their body... So, like, their little body. Their little body. Uh, <laughs> it can grow up to 40 centimeters or 16 inches. Mm. So, they're mostly leg. Kind of like you. Like you. You got <laughs> the legs that go all the way up. 
They can weigh up to 19 kilograms or 42 pounds. Dude, that is a big crab. Yes. Uh, I'm like, I really want crab now. Mm. (laughs) So their weight is second among arthropod mass, and it comes second only to the American lobster. Okay, good. I'm glad it's another another fish boy, another guy in the water. American lobsters can get that big, or is it just it's their it's their mass? Oh, they're yeah. So like lobsters obviously have bulkier bodies, Mm -hmm. like. They chonky. These crabs are mostly leg. That's true. So, Spindly. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't even see. You get lost in all the legs. It's true. So the males have longer. I don't know how to say this. Chelipeds. Chelipeds. Claws, basically. So okay. they have longer and larger claws than the females do. Mm. The males also have. Okay. So pleopods are like, you know, in shrimp. When you see the little, like, they're almost translucent translucent, and they, like, wiggle back and forth as they're swimming. Yes. So, that's what a pleopod is. Gotcha. These crabs have them, too. Males, their front pleopods are, like, twisted around. Hmm. And I don't really know why that is. They just are. Um, It's a fashion statement. Yeah, I guess. Uh, And they're all along their abdomen. Hmm. So there are five pairs of pleopods along the abdomen and it helps with catching food. And then it can also help the female crabs. That's where they store their fertilized eggs. Oh, hmm. These crabs are orange with white spots along their legs. Hmm. They're like, quote unquote, spines. So the ridge along their back Mm because they don't have spines but in their exoskeleton the like ridge along their back that decreases in size as they get older oh hmm they shrivel up like little old Uh uh-huh people yeah and like they're like hunched you know Mm -hmm. um so their armored carapace carapace i think carapace carapace protects them from large predators such as octopi but it can also act as camouflage so they have like a really bumpy surface Mm -hmm. and like spiny surface, but they also, so we've seen in a documentary before of an octopus doing this, but these crabs will put shells, sponges and other animals on top of themselves to further their camouflage. That's crazy. Yeah. I Um, never thought a crab was like, especially smart. mm -hmm. So, This is like a great transition to go into the life and behavior. They do that camouflaging by grabbing objects with their claws and they'll bring it to their mouths so that they can manipulate the shape of it to be whatever they want it. crazy. Yeah. And then, so they'll put it on their back and they excrete this like adhesive like material and it helps those objects stay attached <laughs> to themselves. Wow. <laughs> That's bonkers. Yeah, isn't that crazy? These crabs are nocturnal, so their camouflage is more for keeping them safe from other nocturnal predators mm. than it is to help them camouflage in order to catch their own prey. Mm. So adults are found between 50 to 600 meters or 160 to 1,970 feet deep in Mm. the ocean. The shallow waters, when they're there, that's typically for when they're breeding. Mm. And then they like to be in the deeper water. 
They usually live in vents and holes in the ocean. Hmm. They also like colder waters of about 10 to 13 degrees Celsius or 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. So their life cycle, they mate by pressing their abdomens together. And then the male will insert a little sperm packet. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> into the female lady. yeah <laughs> uh and that instead of giving her flowers he just gives her a packet of seeds mm, mm. <laughs> that's a good one honey that's a very good one the female will then carry the fertilized eggs on her abdomen in the little pleopods mm-hmm. until they hatch and they can lay up to 1.5 million eggs per season. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, the eggs will hatch in about 10 days. That's and- a populated pleopod. <laughs> uh, the larva will undergo four stages of development before they reach adulthood. The first stage only lasts a few minutes. This is the... Well. Yeah. Uh, this is the prezoeal stage, and once they molt, they enter the first zoeal stage. In this zoeal stage, they are small and transparent, and then they go through two other zoeal stages and then a megalopa stage, and these stages, like the length of them, depends largely on the temperature of the water. Hmm. The colder the water, the longer it takes for each stage to reach completion. The survival rate of the first zoeal stage is 70%. The second stage only has a 30% survival rate. Jeez, oh, Peter. Yeah, which makes sense because there's 1.5 million eggs, Mm -hmm. but there's not that many crabs yeah you know these animals are omnivores and not hunters so they will scavenge dead animals or plants and sometimes they'll eat live fish or invertebrates and occasionally they'll eat mollusks by prying open their shells with their claws Hmm. but again typically they are scavengers or they'll just eat plant matter that they find along the ocean floor Hmm. so this is kind of crazy this next bit And I'm going to include a video of it in the show notes. Mm. They molt for about 100 minutes. So like a little over an hour and a half. Hmm. They do this by secreting enzymes that helps to separate their soft body from the exoskeleton. Mm -hmm. And then they develop like a super thin shell that will kind of act as like a skin. Hmm to them and that's developed while it's preparing to molt and that process can take up to weeks okay but then the process of them getting out Mm -hmm. is crazy so the crabs will like suck water into their shell and push it back out and like swell up the spaces and crack their shell open from the inside and then once it's cracked in the body the crab will crawl out and like Wild. extract itself from its own shell hmm. the growth rate per molt is about 22 percent whoa yeah so uh i tried to f- find out like how they get their other shell i'm assuming that it's just a process of like just like hardening their skin yeah hmm. do these crabs get so swole yeah so i felt like that at the gym where it's like <laughs> i just had to burst out of my skin so big (laughs) 
So now moving into the human relations portion, populations of these crabs has greatly decreased over the years due to overfishing, even though they're not fished for commercial fishing. Hmm. One of the predominant methods to protect and recover this species is restocking fisheries using quote unquote artificially cultured juvenile crabs. Hmm. So I'm assuming that that means, um, cause I saw that on national geographic mm-hmm. that like bit about how they're using the artificially cultured crabs and they didn't really go into much more about that but i'm assuming that it means that they're using crabs that are bred in captivity mm-hmm. instead of using crabs that are fished from the ocean mm. but i'm not 100 percent sure there's also a law in japan that prohibits fishermen from fishing these animals during the mating season which is from january to april hmm. so that allows time for juvenile crabs to go through the early stages of their life yeah. and it helps the natural population grow hmm. So, yeah, that's all I have on the Japanese spider crab. Oh, nice. Yeah. Sorry it was kind of short this week. No, it was good. I I love these guys whenever we go to the aquarium Mm -hmm. because without fail, one of them will just be like standing on top of a pile, arms out, like just giving the most like come at me Uh face. Yeah. And yeah. And the videos of like the wars that they have mm-hmm. ugh, are so cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the molting video down there uh, in the show notes. And there are also videos of the population just kind of like walking around and yeah, stuff. And those so are wild. crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll find a couple of videos and put them in the show notes for you guys. Well, thank you very much, honey. Yeah. Well, what creature did you bring for us this week? Well, this week I brought us something that is something. <laughs> Lay it on me. I'm ready. This week, we're going to be talking about the Mongolian death worm. Whoa. And this is, it's one of the weirdest creatures that I've like researched. And we'll talk about that more as we get into it. Okay. But let's just jump on it. I'm ready. So. My butt is strapped. Uh, the Mongolian death worm, whose native name is Olgoi Korkoi. Uh, I'm not really, I'm trying my best. You don't speak Uh, Mongolian. I don't. Uh, It means intestine worm. Oh, wait, is it like a parasite? Well, the reason that it is called that is because it actually looks like an intestine. Oh, yucky. So it's a red blood-like color, and it's also roughly the size of a human intestine. Wait, our intestines are red? Everything inside is red, man. I guess that's true, but I always like, I always picture, because you know when you like, like sausages and stuff mm-hmm. it's like in a white casing so i figured that once all the blood, like, would, all the blood would got yeah. got off it would be huh well i guess it still has its blood so that makes sense true flow and they're roughly like two to seven feet long okay and as you might imagine they live in the gobi desert uh, so they're like desert worms that is not what i imagined well <laughs> you know what? that's a fair point why would anyone imagine that <laughs> so interesting facts about them they can shoot a corrosive venom and also if you just touch them one account says if you touch it you'll like instantly just die from like a poison on its skin wow Uh, i mean that's a thing if that weren't enough it can also discharge an electrical burst it's like a pokemon yeah that can like either paralyze you or again as the english name would suggest super kill you yeah it has i think it's a, described as having horn-like protrusions on both its head and its butt 
It's like a sea cucumber. So it's like you don't know which way this guy's going <laughs> to just do all kinds of terrible, <laughs> bad boy thing because he's a bad real bad boy you know all the all the mongolian children their mom's like you better not be hanging out with that old kai <laughs> so yeah that's pretty much his whole deal okay uh he lives in the sand so he imagine like the dune worms that's really scary yes but here's the weird thing there have been more expeditions to find these guys by like white people by like Mm-hmm. I've I've read about more expeditions to find these guys than any other creature I've read about or know about aside from like Bigfoot. Wow. It's so weird. Like I read about like probably six different expeditions that people have gone on and people go on like multiple expeditions over the course of their lives trying to find these guys. Whoa. And like it started uh, the peak like sightings were in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all comes on the tale of in, in 1926... Roy Chapman Andrews released his book on the trail of ancient man where he is just kind of going around Mongolia and people tell him the story about the death worm. Mm -hmm. They're like, Hey, you know, just be careful. Don't really go in there because there's a death worm. And it's the first time we hear about it. Which is so interesting because when people like are saying that, I mean, sometimes I do think that they were just trying to like mess with the white man. But then there are other times, too, where it's like, where, like, that legend had to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, he goes out. And then later in the uh, 90s, there's a man by the last name Merkley, Merkel, a Russian gentleman. He and his son go out and they go on two expeditions Mm -hmm. trying to find him. In one of their trips, so they're out in the desert camping. And the father has a dream one night mm-hmm. where he's out in the desert looking for it and one appears and it starts circling around him and he tries to run away, but he can't because he's in like a dream state. And all of a sudden, like something hits him from behind and he like gets burnt on his back. Well, his son goes over like in real life, wakes him up and he's like, dad you were screaming like what's wrong and he's like oh i was just having a bad dream and he he's like yeah i got attacked and the dad starts to get really ill like immediately like his heart starts to fail oh and they look and he has a massive bruise on his back like a wound on his back from where it hit him in his dream whoa and so he has to evac because like his health starts to go down eventually he makes a full recovery that's like some nightmare on elm street type stuff so a few like a couple decades go by where people don't look for him uh but then in 2006 there was a group of you know cryptozoologists Mm -hmm. who went out again and they come up empty-handed and over and over and over again all the accounts that people are getting everyone believes it Everyone they talk to believes in this creature. No one they talk to has seen it. Hmm. Every single account without fail is secondhand. Interesting. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention is that the Chapman guy that mm-hmm. I mentioned, he was actually the inspiration for Indiana Jones. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. That's really cool. So this dude's radical. But while he was out, you know, just writing his book and he just happened to stumble across the story. Uh, This is what he says in, this is like a quote from it, which I think sums up 
the myth behind these things as we experience it today. Mm -hmm. So he says, then the primer asked that if I, if it were possible, I should capture for the Mongolian government, a specimen of the allegori hori. None of these present had ever seen the creature, but they all firmly believed in its existence and ascribed it minutely. The premier said that although he had never seen it himself, he knew a man who had and had lived to tell the tale. Then a cabinet minister stated that a cousin of his late wife's sister had also <laughs> seen it. Gotcha. So I think that kind of lets you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's the Mongolian death worm. Wow. Yep. Inspiration for Sandworms and Dune and a bunch of other stuff. And Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones. And the crazy thing is, is that it's come full circle. So Frank Herbert writes Dune. Mm-hmm inspired by these things to some extent puts giant worms in it merkel one of the the russian guy yeah either him i don't think it was him someone who goes on one of these expeditions becomes obsessed with these worms after reading dune oh and they in order to like try and find evidence of them they actually build their own thumper which is what they use in Dune to draw the sandworms to them. They build a thumper in real life and take it to the Gobi Desert with them. Wow. And use that to try and draw out the sandworms. Wow. So it's funny how like the cycle has just Yeah, that's really cool. But yep, that's the, the Mongolian death worm. Wow. Those guys, honestly, though, that the idea of there being a worm like that in the desert that has those abilities, that's really scary because yeah. it's like snakes in the desert are super scary because mm-hmm. like they can move across the sand the way in ways we can't. Yep. Plus, they are camouflaged to live super in the sand. Camouflaged. And so you can't see it until it's too late, basically. Yeah. That's so scary. Yeah, so the idea of just this guy being able to tunnel up underneath you. Yeah. And you just see like kind of ripples in the sand as they're going by. Yeah. Yeah. That's really scary. But thank you for bringing your creature. Well, thank you for bringing your creature. And thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate all of your support. And if you guys wouldn't mind rating and reviewing and sharing with your friends, we really appreciate it. As always, all of our socials are in the description below along with any videos. Um, You can find pictures of these creatures over on our Instagram at Fawns and Fauna. And as always, you're doing a great job. And if you're having a bad day, remember, at least you don't have teeth in your butt. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.